us to receive the food of your holy word, that you would take your truth, plant it deep in us, shape and fashion us in your likeness, that the light of Christ might be seen in us individually and as a church, we pray for the sake of Christ. Amen. You can be seated. I want to preach uh, today from Isaiah chapter 35. It might be helpful if you turn there in your bulletin. That's on page 7. And just keep that open before you as we go through that. Isaiah in this section of scripture is giving us a prophetic vision of the joy that is to come for the people of God. And as Sarah said in our candle lighting, this is the third season of Advent, and the theme is joy, and this, of course, should be a season of joy, Advent, and as we approach Christmas, joy to the world, the Lord has come. But so many people during this season do not experience uh, the joy and the everlasting joy that God can give. Josie and I were talking about this this week how our experience of Christmas is so different as adults than it was as a child. Now think about that. You know, when you're a child, uh, Christmas, or at least I hope this was for your, your case, uh, was really pure joy. Uh, we received gifts that we could never earn on our own. We sensed unconditional love from our uh, relatives. And we got to eat as many sweets as we wanted and not feel guilty about it. <laughs> but my, how things change when you become an adult. And at this season especially, people struggle with stress because of busyness, because of financial pressure, anxiety, depression, loneliness. They call it the holiday blues. But we need to recover something of that childlike joy this season. We need to learn as as Pastor John Piper says in one of his books, Christians need to learn to fight for joy. And one of the ways we do that, one of the ways we fight for joy in this life is by meditating on the promises of God's holy word. And so that's what I want to do today as we look at this passage, Isaiah 35. I just want to meditate on the promises of joy that are found in this scripture. Isaiah is writing this at the end of his long ministry. He's ministered uh, for, for uh, several decades. And most likely he's writing this at the end of his ministry as a prophet. And this prophecy that he gives us is fulfilled in several stages. And that's how a lot of Old Testament prophecy works. It's, it's fulfilled progressively in different stages. So one level or one stage of this prophecy was fulfilled when the Jewish um, exiles in Babylon were allowed to return back to Jerusalem, to return back to Zion in 536 B.C. And so God is giving Isaiah this prophetic vision of the return of the exiles hundreds of years after his ministry. The ransom of the Lord shall return, verse 10 says, and come to Zion with singing. And that happened. The Babylonians had captured, captured Judah and the people of God, but then um, when the Persians took over, uh, Cyrus the Great, the king of Persia, allowed the Jews, or at least a remnant of the Jews, to return 
back to Zion, back to Jerusalem. So God is giving Isaiah this prophetic picture. But there's another level of prophecy here, or the fulfillment of this prophecy. The ultimate level is when, at the end of history, Christ will return again. The Messiah will come again. And these things that Isaiah spoke about will be completely filled to the full. The prophetic vision will be filled to the full. So let's look at this prophetic picture of joy to remind ourselves of the joy that God has for his people. And again, I hope as you hear these things, God will stir joy and peace in your hearts and minds. So I just want to organize this by looking at just three things. The who, the what, and the how. The who, the what, and the how. Who? Who can give us this kind of joy, this everlasting joy? Well, obviously, it's God. Only God can do the kinds of things that Isaiah is talking about here in this passage. Isaiah is telling the people of God to look to him, to trust in him alone for salvation and for this joy. He will come and save you, he says. Isaiah's whole ministry was about turning the people to God so that they would trust in God. Isaiah's name means salvation is from the Lord, or God is salvation. Isaiah was saturated with the knowledge of God. He knew the holiness of God. He knew the majesty of God. He knew the greatness of God. He knew the sovereignty of God. He knew the goodness of God, and he knew, because he knew God, he knew that God wanted to communicate this goodness to his people. And so Isaiah was constantly calling people to trust in God for salvation and for ultimate joy. And so to the kings of his day, Isaiah said, don't trust in politics. Trust in the promises of God. Word for us. Don't trust in man, ultimately, for your solutions. Look to God. Hope in God. To the people of his day, Isaiah would say, don't turn to idols. Don't fall into sin, but look to the true God. Turn in repentance and trust in him. And it was a difficult season in the history of the people of Israel and Judah during this time. They were under threat, constant threat by enemies. And Isaiah is saying, when you don't understand what God is doing, in the midst of your fear and anxiety, especially when you don't understand what God is doing, look to Him and trust in Him to give you the peace and the joy. And that's a word for us today. When we don't understand what God is up to in our world or in our lives, we are called to trust in Him and to realize that He is sovereign. He is Lord. Do you know who Christopher Wren was? He was a great English architect one of the greatest English architects, and the city of Windsor hired him to build a market. So he presented this design for the market in Windsor. And uh, John, I think you'll appreciate this. His design had no supporting pillars. And the alderman said, we can't build a building like that. That just won't work. And so he uh, reluctantly acquiesced, and he gave in, even though he argued his case, I can build this without central pillars. But they said, no, you're not going to build it unless you do it our way. So he said, fine. He built the market. Years later, it was discovered that the, the central pillars were there, 
but they were one inch shorter than the ceiling. <laughs> he won the argument. The ceiling never sagged. The roof has never fallen. The great architect knew what he was doing. And in our own life, we have to trust that God is the great architect. In history, in our life, he knows what he's doing. He has promised everlasting joy for us, and we have to hang on to that in difficult circumstances. Only God can give us everlasting joy because only God is everlasting. Only he's eternal. Everything in this life is temporary. And yet so often we cling to the things of this life rather than God. God is our rock. God is our redeemer. He's the giver of eternal joy. So he's the source. We must look to him. And then what? What does this picture of joy look like? Look at it here. The glory of God. It's a picture of the glory of God. Look at verse 2, the end of that. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Isaiah had a vision of the majesty and glory of God, didn't he? In Isaiah chapter 6, he said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his glory filled the temple. And that vision of God's glory and majesty is what changed Isaiah's life. That's what catapulted him into this ministry. He knew God. He experienced God and His glory. And in our dark and difficult world, we, friends, need a fresh vision of the glory of God. We need a fresh vision of the majesty and the beauty of our God. And that's why we're here. That's why we worship. That's why we pray. That's why we hear the Scriptures. We need to see God. But one day, the promise is that we will see Him as He is. When Christ comes again, 1 John 3.2 says, the apostle, when he appears, we shall see him as he is. A vision of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So everlasting joy means beholding the glory of God. It involves a new or a renewed creation. We see a lot of... Uh, Scriptures here that speak of creation being renewed and flourishing. Verse 1, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. Even creation itself will join in the praise of God. will reflect something of the glory of God. And then verse 6. The waters will break forth in the wilderness. There'll be streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool. And the thirsty ground springs of water. And the haunt of jackals where they lie down. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. You see what Isaiah is prophesying. Because of God's judgment, there's going to be a wilderness. There's going to be a wasteland. But because of God's goodness, he's going to restore creation. And creation will be restored in the way God intended it, or to the way God always intended it to be. Right now, creation is groaning under sin. Paul says that in Romans 8. Creation groans under sin. Our bodies, can I get an amen, groan under sin sometimes. <laughs> but when Christ comes, creation will be liberated. Our bodies will be transformed. So it involves a renewed creation, this picture. A vision of the glory of God. It involves cre uh, complete and perfect justice. 
Behold, your God will come, he says to the people. You who have suffered so much at the hands of your enemies, behold, your God will come with vengeance and with recompense. He will set things right. The Message Bible says God is here, right here on his way to put things right and redress all wrongs. So this is a vision of justice, of renewal, of bodies being healed and restored. Look at verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the tongue. Oh, wait. The ears of the deaf unstopped. And then the, the lame man will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. Bodies will be made whole. It's a beautiful picture of what God is going to do when the Messiah returns. Now, we can stop here and just ask ourselves, and I'm sure a skeptic would say, okay, that is a pretty picture that you're painting here. And I like fairy tales just as much as the next guy. But why should we believe this? We look at our world today and, and we don't see this. So why should we believe it? Well, the answer really comes in our gospel reading, doesn't it? Because our gospel reading tells us that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that God has sent the Messiah. And, and, and what Jesus does in his ministry is a foretaste of what is to come when he comes again. Jesus, through his ministry, is already restoring. And when he comes again, he'll bring complete restoration. John the Baptist was in prison. Again, that would make you think, what is God doing in my life? What is God doing in the world? But he asked uh, by word of his disciples, Jesus, are you the one who is to come and shall we look for another? And Jesus answered him in verse 4, go and tell John what you hear. Now this is the fulfillment of what Isaiah is saying. You see, the blind receive their sight. The lame walk, leopards are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who's not offended by me. In other words, he's saying, I am fulfilling the prophetic picture of what the Messiah is to do. He is bringing restoration and healing. And that is why we can believe that God is at work in our world and he'll bring things to completion as he's prophesied because he's demonstrated that work already in Jesus Christ. The Messiah has come and will come again. And when he comes again, sorrow and sighing will flee away. This is a beautiful vision, and we're called to live by this vision. We, we just need to keep this vision in our minds and in our hearts as we go through life, as we go through the difficult seasons of life. I was listening to a story this, this week on the radio it was an interview of parents who uh, lost a child in the Newtown, Connecticut school shootings. And that was just a, a year ago or so. And they were scientists, and they were talking about how they're going to try to use science to help predict and prevent violent behavior in the future. And I, I wish them well in that endeavor. They had some interesting ideas. But in the course of that interview, the mother said this. She said, I'm working through my grief by choosing to focus on beauty and hope. Anything that blankets my brain with beauty, she said, is what I'm looking at, because the alternative is darkness and despair. Now, this, I don't think, person was a Christian, but I think she's exactly right. 
as Christians, we have a reason to focus on beauty. We have a hope, and, and we know that God is at work in the world, has been at work in Jesus Christ, is at work in Jesus Christ, and will send Christ again. There's hunger for beauty in our broken world, and God, I believe, has placed that in our hearts. By the way, that's why I think the church should be involved in creating beautiful things. Uh, Bishop N.T. Wright says this, The church should reawaken beauty at every level. Art, music, literature. Christians should be producing this because it speaks about the beauty of the world to to come. It, It speaks to that hope that we all long for. And Isaiah gives us this picture of a beautiful world that Christ will bring about. So that's the what. We've talked about the who. And now, how does this make a difference in our life? How does hanging on to this vision make a difference in our life today? Well, look at what Isaiah says here. Verse 3. It's about strengthening us. It's about giving us courage. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble needs. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Behold your God. Be strong, fear not, behold your God. How many of us are afraid or anxious about the future? About the the future of our lives or our, our world? And what does that fear and anxiety do in our life? It tempts us to, to fall away from, from trusting in God. It tempts us to sin. When I let fear grow in my life, I'm tempted to become faithless. When I let the fear of man creep into my life, I become more concerned about how people are perceiving me, how I'm looking, how I'm sounding, rather than serving and loving another person. When we get anxious about money, we can become greedy and possessive rather than generous. See, our fear tempts us to faithlessness. When we get anxious about our health, we can become paralyzed by despair. We need to hear in a fresh way Isaiah's word, Behold your God. Behold your God. We need this Christmas season to sing out the songs of the redeemed. As we sing the carols, we need to sing them with joy. We need to let the joy of the Lord be our strength as we move forward in all that God has called us to do. Knowing that one day because of Him, we will obtain gladness and joy and sighing and sorrow one day will flee away. Amen.